Well, this does bring back some memories, though, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> the McElroys. But you know, it is interesting, though, as we, I thought about this this morning, uh, and Stan mentioned it too, that our plans aren't always God's plans, are they? I mean, as much as we want them to be, as much as we strive for them to be, it doesn't always work out that way. <clears throat> but also, it reminds us, too, that the church is not the building that we're in. It's not the roof over our heads that keeps the rain off. It's not what keeps the cold away. It's not what keeps the heat away. It's us, right here. <clears throat> you know, here, uh, a few weeks ago, we um, didn't actually celebrate this holiday for a good reason, but many of us know what I'm talking about, and that's Halloween. Uh, Halloween is... Uh, just not a particularly good thing for us to be celebrating, but there's reasons behind that, and I'm not going to go into that this morning. But when I think about Halloween, um, it brings up some many memories of haunted houses and things years ago that I used to participate in with the Topeka JCs, and how much fun I used to have in putting on a mask and scaring the little kids to death and watching them scream and run, and, and uh, it. And, you know, people actually enjoy being scared. They will pay money to come and be scared. What a great thing. We, we did use that money for good, they, <clears throat> excuse me, good things in the JCs, but when I think about this, too, we think about over the years what Hollywood has done with horror movies and how many millions and maybe billions of dollars they've made off of scaring us, and we go, and we pay, and we get scared. I think about all the old black and white movies, the Lon Chaney's, the Bella Lugosi's, the Vincent Price's, the Mummy, the Werewolf, the Blob, the Thing. It goes on and on and on. But you know what they're doing? They're capitalizing on an aspect of our lives that most of us don't deal real well with, and that's fear. You know, fear can be debilitating. It can stop us dead in our tracks. You know, even TV's gotten involved in this now. There's a show on, I don't watch it, but it's called The Fear Factor. I don't know if anyone's ever seen it. They just, you don't have to do whatever they want you to do, but if you don't, you lose. It's just that simple. Whether it's eating real spider or live spiders or a glass full of night crawlers, whatever it may be that they're making you do or asking you to do, ESPN's got in the middle of this now. They've got a show called I Would Do Anything, and it's based on fear. You know, psychiatrists, psychologists, for years and years, they've made livings off of what? People's fears. And it's interesting because I've heard Mike say this, the Internet is a great thing. It's a great tool. It can be a detriment to us too, but if we use it right, it can be a great tool. So I went on the internet and I started searching for phobias. And lo and behold, there was a website on there that had phobias listed from A to Z. And I don't know how many there were. There were several hundred. 
I didn't have time to go through all these, but I did pick out a few of my favorite ones here. I thought I'd read them off to you. These are all the fear ofs. The fear of the number eight. Octophobia. If you have the fear of animals, you have zoophobia. If you have a fear of the boogeyman, you have boogiephobia. I didn't make this up. If you have a fear of bulls, you have torophobia. I thought that would be a fear of the bullfighter. Maybe not. Um, if you have a fear of dentists, you have dentophobia. If you have a fear of outer space, you have space phobia. And for anyone in here today, if you have a fear of sermons, you have homeliophobia. If you have a fear of tests, you have testophobia. And my favorite, if you have a fear of ventriloquist dummies, automatonophobia. Incredible, isn't it? But you know, <clears throat> fear is a very real part of our life. Um, and it, it hits us at given times that, that when we're not expecting it. I was at uh, a, a seminar last weekend. That's why I wasn't here. It was a business seminar. But the speaker, in, in talking with us, was trying to analyze some of the things that cause us or keep us from doing things in our lives that we want to do or need to do or should do. And, of course, the main reason that we don't do a lot of the things we need to do is fear. And he had an excellent acronym for this. He said, fear is false evidence appearing real. Now, maybe you've heard that. I'd never heard it before. So I started thinking about that, and I thought, okay, well, what am I afraid of? What causes the most fear in my life? And what should I be afraid of? And when should I turn tail and run? What shouldn't I be afraid of? And when do I stand up to my fears? When do I face my fears? Well, we could take the world view of this fear, and we could do like the psychologists or the psychiatrists, and we could analyze and we could debate and we could spend hours and hours and hours going over things and come up with nothing, basically, at the end. Or we can do what we're going to do here this morning, and we're going to take a biblical viewpoint of fear. And when we do that, we see that we can take all the fears and we can basically put them in two categories. Ungodly fear, or unholy fear, or godly fear. So, first of all, what I want to look at is our ungodly fears. <clears throat> so, if you've got your Bibles, I've got a few passages here. I'm skipping around. There's, there's nothing uh, right down the path. But the first verse I wanted to take a look at was 2 Timothy 1, 7. And Paul writes, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, some verses may say timidity, a cowardice, but a power of love and of a sound mind. <clears throat> now, Timothy was a young man. He was probably in his 30s at this time, maybe late 20s, when Paul wrote this letter. 
But he'd been traveling around with Paul for quite some time, probably since his early teens. He'd been his assistant. He'd been his disciple. And Paul had sent him out on his own several times to the churches in the area just to, to check up on them and see how they were doing. So he'd been given some responsibilities. But now, as Paul was writing this letter, he was actually serving as the pastor of the church in Ephesus. So we would like to believe here that Timothy was very grounded, very stable in his faith. He's the pastor of the church. So what did he have to fear? What was causing the fear that Paul was referring to here? Well, several things. Nero, if you remember, was in charge of Rome at that time, and he was turning up the heat on the Christians. He was causing all kinds of problems in their lives. Even the leaders of the church in Ephesus were resenting Timothy because many things, but mainly because of his youth, I would suppose. And there were some false teachers that were coming into the churches and they were infiltrating them and they were teaching apostasy and it was just wreaking havoc. So Timothy was under some pressure. What about us? What about your situation? You under any pressure? Any of us? Are we uh, maybe having a difficult time at work? Um, school getting to us possibly? Has any of us ever said, I'm not looking forward to whatever, fill in the blank, whatever you want to put in there. I'm not looking forward to it. You know, actually coming up here and speaking can be a little fearful at times. Um, it actually makes it easier when everybody's a little bit closer here. <coughs> But what is it that's causing you to be fearful? Has anyone ever seen, it's an old movie, it's uh, titled The Ghost and Mr. Chicken. <laughs> With Don Knotts, his post Andy Griffith days. I won't go into the whole thing, but there's, there's a scene in there where he's being honored at this picnic because of this valiant thing he did at this haunted house, or supposedly haunted house. And he's asked to give a speech. And you know Don Knotts is one of my favorite old-time characters. He, he, he gets up there and he's got his... And he's standing there like this. And he's trying to talk. And, and pretty soon, the papers just all fly out of his hands. <laughs> so he doesn't even have his papers to fall. And then his eyes bug out. And every, you know Don Knotts, everything goes that way. Well, I know how I feel sometimes. And you know, it's interesting that there's been surveys taken to find out what the average person really fears. What's, what's the greatest fear in your life? And you may have heard this too, but probably 90% of the surveys speaking in public or speaking in front of other people is the greatest fear that people have even more so than death. So what that translates to is if you were at the funeral, you'd rather be in the coffin than giving the eulogy. And that <coughs> but remember, Paul's telling us right here that that fear is not from God. It's not coming from God. 
God's not giving us the spirit of fear. Who is? Where is it coming from? Is it, is it real or is it false evidence appearing real? We certainly can have real fears in our lives. There can be things that petrify us that are real. Snakes. I hate snakes. They petrify me. They're very real. There's no false evidence in that. It may be my own problem, but the snake is very real. <clears throat> you know, God allows or causes, and we've talked about this, everything. And He's not causing this because Paul just told us. So how does it happen? Why is it happening? You know, Satan is the father of lies. He's the father of falsities. And I just mentioned a minute ago the acronym for fear and that it's false evidence appearing real. Satan wants us to be afraid. He wants us to be petrified because he knows when we are that it's going to hold us back. It's going to keep us from doing the things that we need to do. He knows that maybe we're afraid to share the gospel. Is he going to capitalize on that fear? You bet he will. He doesn't want us stepping out in faith. <clears throat> Excuse me, faith. That would uh, not be a good thing for him because it would show bravery and, and courage on our part. He doesn't want us doing anything that would further the gospel of Christ. So, fear is a very easy thing for him to use against us. He wants us to be scared to death. He wants us to be ineffective, which we will be if we let the fear rule. If we avoid doing what we need to do. So, what we need to do, then, is take a step back and look at what we're avoiding. What is it that we're avoiding? And why are we avoiding it? And when we do that, is there any evidence, again, that it's real? Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Fear is a trap. A, a snare entangles us. It holds us back. ties us up. It keeps us from moving forward. And that's what we need to do is move forward. We need to progress. Whether that's at work, at home, in our relationships, especially our relationship with Christ. We need to keep moving forward in that. Mike's talked about it many times. I've heard him about our spiritual lives being stagnant or being flat. That's what Satan wants. He wants us flat. He wants us stagnant. He doesn't want any joy in any of our worship, in any of our teaching. He doesn't want us to be comfortable at all in that. We need to keep moving forward. You know, it's interesting that it seems like no matter what I'm teaching on, I can always throw in an analogy about a car. Today's no different. <clears throat> if you take a car, let's just say you take a two-year-old car, and you sit it in your driveway, and you just let it sit there, and sit there, and sit there. And two or three years later, you decide one day you're going to go out, and you're going to get in it, and you're going to drive it. What's going to happen? Probably not going to start. Because 
it was ineffective. It was sitting there. It wasn't moving forward. It wasn't doing anything. Vehicles like our bodies need to keep moving. You need to keep the fluids flowing. You need to keep the battery charged. And if you just let it sit there for long periods of time, it may dry up. <clears throat> That's what we need to avoid to do. We can't We've got to keep moving forward. We can't be ineffective. We can't sit still. We can't let our seals, so to speak, dry up. So how do we do that? Well, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 comes to mind to me, and that is, <coughs> Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understandings. Acknowledge Him in all your ways, and He will either make your path straight, or He will direct your path. He's not going to lead us down the wrong path. We may go down the wrong path at times. God's not going to lead us that way. And when we go down the wrong path, we can look back and realize that we probably weren't trusting Him when we were doing that. This was all on our own. We were doing this on our own. God wants us to go out and do things on our own. But sometimes when we go down the wrong path, um, we're going to hit a pothole or we're going to hit a bump or we're going to hit something and that's going to wake us up, and we're going to remember that we're on the wrong path. You know, this unholy fear, this ungodly fear, will stunt your spiritual growth, and we just can't let that happen. You know, I mentioned again that fear could be paralyzing. And a good example of this is the story of Jesus walking on the water. You know, we know the story well. Mike just talked about it here a few weeks ago. The disciples have just... Jesus has just fed the multitude. The disciples are crossing the lake in the boat. He says, you guys go on. I'm going to go up and, and have some quiet time here. And I'll catch up with you later, basically. So they're in the boat and they're, they're going across the lake. and he start, He's walking out across the water. Now, he didn't tell them he was going to come to them walking across the water. He just said, you guys go on ahead. So they see him coming... And what does it say? It says, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and he began to sink. And he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The disciples saw Jesus walking on the one. They didn't recognize him. They didn't know who he was. And they were afraid. They thought he was a ghost. This unknown entity that was coming across the water scared them. You know, fear, the fear that they were having here was not that it was Jesus, because if it would have been Jesus, there would have been no reason to fear. The fear was that they didn't know who it was. And fear of the unknown is something that I feel really hits all of us. Things that, that we project that we don't even know or we, we can't even realize or see that are going to happen, but yet we're afraid of them. 
Has, has anyone ever been in a fearful situation like that? Maybe an event that hasn't even happened yet, but yet you're, you're worried about it, you're fearful about it, you're anxious about it. What about um, medical tests? Let's say someone's not feeling well and they're going in for some tests. That can make you a little anxious. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what the result of that test is going to be. You're fearful. Test at school, maybe, that you're having. You can be as prepared as you want to be, but you don't know what the outcome is going to be. A new job. You're fearful. You don't know what it's going to be like. Is there any reason to be fearful for any of these things? There can be, but God tells us no. When we get in those situations and we're fearful, is the first thing that pops in our heads, Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing? should be. I can honestly say it's not always what pops up here, but it should be. How about this? Another car analogy. What if your car is making a funny noise, which they do a lot, and you think you figured it out? It's a belt. No big deal. And then your neighbor, who's the pharmacist, who's never worked on a car in his life, comes over to your house and tells you that he thinks the engine's going out of it. Now, you're not a mechanic. You're not a technician. He's not either. But yet now he's got you thinking that there's really something more wrong with this situation than there really is. You don't know. He doesn't know. But now you're, you're fearful because you're looking at major repairs, major expense, false evidence appearing real. Fill in the blanks. We've all been there. I remember... In 96, when Tam was in the hospital, she was in the hospital twice that year. The second time through was the, was the extended time. And she had obvious physical problems, but they couldn't find anything. Test after test after test revealed nothing. Were we fearful? You bet. Why? Because we didn't know what was wrong. Would it have been easier for us to deal with if we'd have known what was wrong? You bet. Would it have made the pain any less? No. Would it have made the situation any better? In a way, because we would have known. The point is, it was what we didn't know that was causing the fear and, and the frustration. and the, um, We just wanted to get it over with and get it through. Most cases, even if you know what the situation is going to be, and even if it's a terrible ending, it's still easier for us to deal with than if we just flat don't know. We don't like that not knowing, that, that unknown. Again, disciples, they wouldn't have been afraid if they would have known it was Jesus coming across the water. If he'd have told them up front that he was going to walk out there, there wouldn't have been a problem. False evidence appearing real. We can't let our fears of what we don't know or know about rule our lives because it can and it will. Another example of this godly or ungodly fear, I should say, is right there in that same passage in Peter's response. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come and I'll walk out there. And Jesus says, okay, come. Peter steps out of the boat and he's walking across the water. 
It's, you know, this is not just because he's more buoyant than all the rest of us is. This is because Jesus is giving him the power, and it's his faith that's allowing him to do this. And what happens? It says the wind picks up, he gets afraid, and he starts to sink. Peter let his fear overcome his faith. He let his faith in Christ, who was right there, overcome the fact that he was walking on the water. And Jesus, what did he do when that happened? He didn't let him sink. He reached down and saved him. So even then, when we know that we're, we're stepping out on faith and we're, we're doing something that maybe is a little out of our comfort zone, Jesus is going to be there. Does Jesus want us to step out on faith? Yeah, you bet he does. Do, do we have any idea what we can do if we try? Do we have any idea what we can get if we ask? What does the Bible say? Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open. If we're not moving forward, if we're stagnant, if we're sitting still, we're not going to be reaching those places that God wants us to go. We can't let the ungodly fear inhibit us from being the person that God wants us to be. We step out of the boat. We're in the boat. We step out. How do we know the water is going to hold us up? How did Peter know the water was going to hold him up? Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on, on, on your own understandings. Acknowledge Him in all your ways and He shall direct your paths. It's the same passage, same verse, same. It's the same thing that He has told us time and time again. It's trusting in Him. That's how we do it. And that's how we can continue to do it. I'm going to shift gears a little bit here now. We're going to go look at a few verses dealing with some godly or some holy fear. And that's interesting to me in itself that God with all His compassion and mercy and grace and love would want me to be afraid of Him. He would want me to fear Him. You know, as a father, I would say that... uh, I don't want my children to fear me because of who I am as a person. I don't want them to be afraid of me. Do I want them to respect me and honor me? You bet. Do I want them to revere me? Yeah. Because I'm in charge. God is the same way with us. He's in charge. It's the same type of respect and honor, courtesy. It's not of a fear of snakes. It's not a fear of whatever. It's a reverent fear. We need to know who God is. And we need to remember that we're not Him. Psalm 
Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. John MacArthur, uh, many of you may know who he is, very, a very well-known Bible teacher and, and uh, seminar um, speaker, and he writes, Submissive fear is foundational for all spiritual knowledge and wisdom. While the unbeliever may make statements about life and truth, he does not have the true ultimate knowledge until he is in a redemptive relationship of reverential awe with God. And then he adds, The fear of the Lord is a state of mind in which one's own attitudes, will, feelings, deeds, and goals are exchanged for God's. A submissive fear, foundational for all spiritual knowledge and wisdom. That's just awesome to me to think that we can actually exchange our attitude with God's. Our will, our feelings, our goals. That's awesome. He wants us to have that interaction with Him. But it also comes with more responsibility. Do we want the change? Can we handle it? Yes, we do. And yes, we can. Because we're not in it alone. So how do we get it? Where does it come from? The fear of the Lord. It's the reverence for God. It's a willingness to submit. To give in to God's will. It doesn't sound that hard to do, does it? But it is. It can be. It is because we know what we need to do. We know, we make, we know the changes we need to make, but we're afraid. We're fearful to make some of those changes. But it isn't, or shouldn't be, because we're not doing it all on our own. We're not, he's not going to leave us out there hanging to dry, so to speak. Again, Psalm 147.11 says, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him in those who hope in His mercy. So it pleases God for us to be willing to submit to Him. And we want to please God. That's a good thing. Again, He's God. We're not. He has the power. We don't. Has anyone seen uh, the movie Bruce Almighty? Most probably everybody has. It's a good movie. Mike recommended it to us because... (coughs) If I hadn't heard Mike, I would have never watched it because I know how Jim Carrey can be. And I just assumed that this movie was just going to be a blaspheme against God and I didn't want any part of it. But it didn't turn out that way. And I don't want to give away any of the movie, but for those who have seen it, you know that this, this guy and this character in this movie, his life is just being really crummy. Things just aren't going very well. And he is blaming God for all of the things that are happening to him in his life. And he's getting no response. He's saying, God, this, you know, if this is going to happen, do this, and this, and this, and this, and nothing happens. And he, and he finally gets angry. And, and the final thing that, that uh, trips the trigger, I guess, is when he says, all right, God, the gloves are coming off. It's you and me, buddy. And 
from that point on, uh, for those of you who've seen the story, he's given God's powers. And he doesn't do a very good job of having God's powers. He messes everything all up. And he understands at the end, as I've been saying, who God is, and he's not him. When we revere Him, when we fear Him, He's happy with us. That's a good thing. In Luke 12, 4 and 5, Jesus says, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear Him who after He has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, Fear Him. Again, God's got the power. We shouldn't be afraid of any man. That's, that's easy to say because physically they can do some damage to us. But as Jesus said, the, the worst that they can possibly do is kill this body. This body's temporary. It's not going to be with us forever. And death as we know, is not the end. In fact, it's just the beginning. So there's no reason to fear that. Jesus is telling the people where their allegiance needs to be and who they need to believe in. Again, this is out of reverence and respect for who God is and what He can do. Again, He's God, we're not. Hebrews 28, no, I'm sorry, Hebrews 12, 28. The writer says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Again, the writer saying, we need to fear God with reverence in order to serve Him. You know, when I think of service... I think of the word usefulness. It always pops into my mind. And then I wonder sometimes to myself, am I being useful to God? How useful am I? Am I making myself available to Him to do His will? Mike's taught about this. Am I willing to be inconvenienced Isaiah, remember what he said? Here I am, Lord. Send me. He didn't stay behind the pillar. He ran out in front. Send me. Make me available. I want to go. We need to be ready to go wherever God wants us to and when He wants us to. No questions asked. You know, I've never been in the military. But I understand that officers in the military don't get that rank. They don't get to that position because they're not willing to make sacrifices. And they're also not worried about giving orders. They're not worried about being in charge. But you understand that in order for them to get to that position of leadership, they had to be a good follower first. They had to learn to follow in order to lead. 
I want to think about that. An officer gains the respect of his troops by being a good leader. Go back in time here a few years ago when President Clinton was in office. And because of all the things that he had done in his past, dodging the draft and all of the protests and everything that he had gone through, the average military serviceman or woman had no respect for him. He was the President of the United States, but yet, because of what he'd done years before when he was a younger man and what he'd done to the country and everything else, as far as the military goes, they had no respect for him. This is the highest office in the country that you can hold. And we would assume and we would expect that there would be respect for that. But many of us know and understand why there wasn't. And that was a shame. Has any of us, have you ever had a supervisor or a teacher or something like that maybe that you really didn't see eye to eye with? They can make it pretty difficult on you. And it's hard to serve them because of that. But remember, Paul has told us that we are to submit to the authority. And he also told us that God has placed all the authority. We may not like it, but we need to, in reverence to them, fear them to serve them, to serve them well. I've heard the term, respect is not given, it's earned. And I, I believe that, with the exception of God. You and me, individually, we need to earn each other's respect. God doesn't have to earn my respect. He never has and He never will. In His economy, that doesn't wash. He doesn't need to prove anything to us. We need to prove it to Him. If we want God's will, and remember, He never makes mistakes, never has, never will, to be done in our lives, we need to fear Him. A reverent fear. One final passage here. Ecclesiastes. And I've mentioned in the past how much I enjoy Solomon and his writings. Solomon wasn't perfect. We know that. None of us are. Solomon, David's son. David was not perfect by any means. Solomon was given enormous wisdom. And with that wisdom came enormous wealth and enormous responsibility. And he didn't always handle it well. When he wrote Ecclesiastes, he was older. He was probably towards the end of his life, maybe even close to death. It's not really known for sure, but it's a reflection back on his life and all the things that have transpired throughout his life. I haven't mentioned the verse yet, but I'm getting there. There, There are some people who even say that there's a hint of skepticism in, in Solomon's writing, maybe even a little sarcasm. I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to dissect it. <clears throat> but it is one of my favorite books because I appreciate what Solomon's frankness and his willingness to tell it like he sees it. Back to the politics again, briefly. Um, many of the people on the Democratic side of the party will tell you that the reason that John Kerry was not elected in this past election is because of the simple fact that he wouldn't 
He wouldn't state anything. He, he would say, I have a plan, but you didn't know what the plan was. He, he wouldn't give us any insight into what he was thinking or what he was feeling. And because of that, a lot of people just didn't trust him. He'd say, go to my website. Well, God doesn't tell us to go to his website. <clears throat> he would probably be president today if he would have been a little more outgoing, a little more forthright. Right or wrong, Mike talked about it here again a couple weeks ago, praying that we didn't get what we deserve. Well, in my, in my opinion, we didn't get what we deserve because President Bush is going to do a good job. If nothing else, again, just real quickly on him, at least you know where he's coming from. You may not always agree with what he says, but at least you know where he's coming from. He states a fact, and that's what he sticks with. Okay, back to Solomon here. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 through 14. The very end of the book. Solomon writes, The words of the wise are like goads. And I heard and I thought, what the heck is a goad? I had to look it up. A goad is a sharp stick that they used to poke animals. They prodded them to get them moving. Cattle, sheep. It's a stimulator. So the words of the wise are like stimulation. And the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. We shouldn't try to know everything because we can't. There's no possible way. Finally, in verse 13, he says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Sum it all up, these few words. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Again, to fear God, we can allow His will to be done in our lives. We can't run. We can't hide. He knows our ins. He knows our outs. He knows every single hair, even on my top of my head. <clears throat> let's, let, let's let our lives be reverent to God. Let's let that fear that we don't particularly understand be for Him. Let's honor, edify Him in everything we do, everything we say, everything we, we try to do. And in doing that, as Solomon says, God will bring every work into judgment. It may not be good sometimes, but we're going to stand before Him one way or the other. Just in closing here... Um, off of the same website that I got all of the phobia lists, there were some quotes, fear quotes. Some of them I'm sure you've heard, uh, some maybe not. Probably the most famous fear quote we here in the United States know is Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And he said this in his first inaugural address in March of 1933. He said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified, Terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. 
It's holding us back. It's causing problems. And it will continue to do so as long as we let the fear rule. There's another one. H.P. Lovecraft says, The oldest and the strongest emotion of mankind is fear. Anthony Price says, Being frightened is an experience you can't buy. But although if you go to the haunted house and pay them three or four dollars, they'll scare you. <clears throat> A German proverb says, Fear makes the wolf bigger than he is. John, P., John B. Putnam Jr. says, Courage is not the lack of fear, but the ability to face it. And finally, my favorite here, Dave Barry. Most of us know who Dave Barry is. He's kind of a satirical humorist. And he says, All of us are born with a set of instinctive fears of falling, of the dark, of lobsters, of falling on lobsters in the dark, or speaking before a rotary club, and the words, Some Assembly Required. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you again for this day. We thank you for this time to be here this morning. And as I said, first thing about the church not being a building, it's not the brick structure, it's not the wooden frame. Father, it's the people within the church. It's the body of believers that come to worship and to praise you, that come with their hearts prepared and their eyes and their ears ready to hear and see anything and everything that you have for us. Lord, this morning, as, as I've talked about and as we go about our, our daily lives, fear is, is a very real thing in our lives. Even though the fear may not, not be a true fear, it happens to all of us. Anxiety and worry and pressure. And it is easy, Father, to let these things overcome us. But Lord, we can keep that from happening. Father, if we stay in your word... We listen to others. Father, it doesn't have to take hold of us. It doesn't have to stop us dead in our tracks. We want to keep moving forward. We want that relationship to Christ, with Christ to blossom and to be fulfilled. We have to take the first step. We have to have that faith. We have to be ready to step out of the boat. Lord, um, again, we just are so thankful that you sent Jesus to bring his wisdom, but most importantly to bring the sacrifice that he did so that we could all be here today knowing in our hearts that someday we'll be standing face to face with him because we love him and we've accepted him into our hearts and into our lives. Thank you, Lord. We love you and we praise you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.